Welcome everyone to today's devotion. We're in Acts chapter 15. And Acts 15 is a significant chapter in uh, the book, but really the Bible more generally, because this is where we have the Jerusalem Council. And this is the first real area of division that the church faces over a very serious theological issue. And the issue is, what is the gospel? Um, so as you can imagine, this is a very, very big, big issue. Now, in terms of uh, a council, a church council, we, we don't hear of those uh, really anymore, particularly in the Protestant tradition. We have uh, denominational meetings and, and, and stuff like that. But in terms of a, a church council, those, those have really gone by the wayside. The Catholic Church still does them. The last one was Vatican II in the 60s, um, which had a host of problems. But but councils like this aren't really around like like, like they used to. Uh, so after the Jerusalem Council, we have the, the Council of Nicaea in the 4th century, followed by uh, uh, Constantinople and, and some others. Um, so we, we don't really do, do it like this much. Again, denominations may have uh, special committees and, and, and resolutions and stuff like that. Uh, but what we have here is the church coming together to deal with a very serious theological issues uh, that later generations practice as well. Um and so it begins here in verse 1. Some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. What we have here is attaching legalism to the gospel. It's actually a little bigger than that in terms of the historical um, role this is playing. Christianity has to make a decision right here at this moment. Will Christianity be a branch of Judaism or will it stand as its own religion? Will it recognize its um, foundation comes out of Judaism, but will it establish itself as a unique gospel, a unique theology, a unique religion? This council will decide that. Had Christianity stayed as a wing of Judaism, I, I don't know if it would have really survived. I would say the same thing about the Arian heresy uh, that, the, that caused the Council of Nicaea. Um, I'm not sure Christianity would have survived. It's certainly not the way we see it today. So this is an important moment. And the issue is, what must one do to be saved? And the Jewish believers were saying, you must first become a Jew in order to become a Christian. You see how, how tightly knit the two religions were still being considered. But as Luke has, has, has done for us, and he's done a good job, is he's established a foundation that God was saving Gentiles as Gentiles, not as Jewish converts. And so you get Cornelius and the uh, Ethiopian eunuch uh, and others, they were redeemed not when they came into Judaism, but prior to coming into Judaism. And so this is a real debate. Um, and it's very serious. So, so it's easy to get lost in some of this thinking, well, you know, it's, it's not that big of a deal. We don't debate these things. I, I, actually, we do. We, we, we really do. And what you have among the legalists are those saying that um, salvation is determined by what one does and by what Christ has accomplished. It's both. And what the church is going to conclude is, no, in fact, it is exclusively on the finished work of Christ. And, and in fact, this is what really divides the Protestant movement and Catholicism. It really comes down to the same issues being dealt with here, articulated differently, but still 
the same issue. So verse 2, after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, that's an understatement, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. Skip down to verse 4. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. They cleared all that God had done with them. But some believers who, were, who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and, and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Now, notice here, first of all, these are Pharisees, people who were engaged in the crucifixion of Jesus. Now they're part of the church. We call that grace. Uh, and, and so we see grace for uh, really dangerous and deadly Pharisees and, and, and grace for Gentiles. And that's going to be the main point that Paul is going to make. But we also see that a former Pharisee, Paul, is having to debate uh, other Pharisees over this issue of grace. In the world of legalism, grace um, grace isn't as deep or as powerful as it is in Christianity. By the way, I try to point this out as often as I can. This is the problem we're having with cancel culture right now. Has anyone that cancel culture has come to, to come after, after a public apology, were they ever shown grace or given a second chance? No, unless they fit some sort of identity, um, um, you know. But uh, but nevertheless, so so we have the Pharisees saying, yes, God loves them too, but He loves us more, right? Uh, because of circumcision, dietary law, stuff like that. And Paul's going to argue, no, in fact. It's grace that saves, not grace and works. So skip down to verse 7. Uh, after there was much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. That goes back to the story of Cornelius. And God, who knows the heart, bores witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. That's the key. God knows the heart. And God redeems the heart. What legalism says is fix the outside and God will save the inside. The gospel says God redeems the inside and thus will fix the outside. And the question comes, does eating meat and uh, you know certain meats that are unclean or does circumcision, is that what makes one pure on the outside? And the answer is no. No, those are all symbolic acts, part of a law that ultimately were, were fulfilled in Christ. Verse 9, he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. That's the key. Is there a distinction between Jew and Gentile? Whenever there is a theological debate like this, what we're going to end up doing is making a distinction between image bearers. And theologically, you can't do that. It's the same gospel, same grace, same Savior. This will become a major issue in Galatians which we, we looked at several months ago. Actually, I think it's one of the first books we looked at. Uh, in fact, I think after we finished Hebrews, which we started in the middle, Galatians was the first book we looked at, going all the way back to March or April last year. Remember that? It was like 40 years ago. But Paul will go out of his way um, to, to show that there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile, uh, slave or free, male or female, um, but we are united in Christ. So you see here that legalism is bringing division Grace is bringing unity. Verse 11, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. That's the key. Same gospel, same Savior, same message.
right? And this is where we get the idea of what I call the transcendence of the gospel. That is that the gospel isn't bound by context, language, culture, um, time in history, any of that. So whenever we're trying to update the gospel or correct the gospel, we're actually corrupting it. Um, no matter where you are, whether you are in Frankfort, Kentucky, or some village in Niger, Africa, you're going to preach the same gospel, same one. Whether you're living in the first century, well, go down to verse 19. Uh, they, they hear Peter and they're sensitive to, to his message. All right, I think we're back. We had a connection there. We should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. I think what we have here, there's some debate, I think what we have here is the Jews saying, look, we agree that grace saves us. And that is our identity is found in grace. However, be aware there are believers around you where these are these are stumbling blocks. Um, Paul will, will describe this as strong and weak believers, that if you're a strong believer that you believe eating meat sacrificed to idols is the example given in 1 Corinthians, and someone is with you that that is a weakness, then um, just, just don't do it, right? Uh, understand, be sympathetic to uh, the, the needs of, of the other person. So if you have a, if you have a, a fellow believer who has come out of, uh, out of something, and, and so they've, they've put up some walls for the sake of their own soul, respect it, right? You don't need to watch certain movies. don't need to listen to certain music. You don't need to be doing this or that for their sake. And saying, well, it ain't that big of a deal. It's not like it's my temptation. That is, that is unacceptable. And so this idea will be developed more later by, by Peter and Paul. Well, in verses uh, 23 down to verse 29, we get the letter uh, from the Jerusalem Council. And by the way, let me make a small point here. I haven't emphasized this. James is the leader of the Jerusalem church. He's the bishop of the Jerusalem church. Uh, that would make him the, the main pastor. And um, it's fascinating that it is James who is leading these things, not Peter. Remember, Peter's supposed to be the first pope. But actually, James is probably the first main leader of the early church. Um, at least he's attached to a city, which carried a lot of weight. This is a letter, brothers, both apostles and elders, to the brothers who are the Gentiles in Antioch, in Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard at the same persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it seemed good to us, having come to one accord, right, they drove in a Honda, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 14, made that clear. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit to, and to us to lay on you no great, greater burden than these requirements. You abstain from that which has been sacrificed to idols and from blood, from that which was strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So this is just, it's an admonition, but it's not associated with the gospel. That's, that's a big, big difference. Um, now, when those things are attached to the gospel, Paul will correct them. All right, so, so there you have division among the church in general that is addressed by pointing to the gospel in the Jerusalem Council. But starting in verse 36 to the end of the chapter, we get division among the early evangelists, apostles, missionaries, stuff like that. And here we get division between Paul and Barnabas. 
Starting in verse 36, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Remember, Paul went on his first missionary journey. And what's going to be part of his second missionary journey is he's going to visit all those places that he planted churches. So he's going to go back to places that they ran him out of town. I mean, some real courage that, that Paul and Barnabas uh, live with. Verse 37, now Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark. We, we were introduced to John Mark earlier. I believe it's chapter 13, maybe 14. I think it's 13. Uh, he's the guy, again, that wrote the Gospel of Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia had not gone with them to the work. That is, he started, he just didn't finish. For whatever reason, he 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 abandoned Paul and Barnabas. So Paul says, you know, um, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me, right? You know, uh, I'm reminded of the George W. Bush um, version of that and where he gets... Um, you know, stumbled on his own words. He should YouTube that and be entertained. Um, but uh, um, verse 39, and there arose a sharp disagreement. So the language is similar to what we saw with the disagreement over um, the Gentile believers coming into the church, right? So, so this is a very strong disagreement. Now, these are two brothers who love each other. They love Jesus. They can't agree on this one issue. Remember, Barnabas is much more the encourager. Uh, he can overlook some things because he wants what's best in, in other people. He sees what is best in other people. We need people like this. You need a Barnabas in your life. I hope you have one. If not, you need to be a Barnabas to other people because they need one. But we also need Pauls in our lives who are uh, much more uh, stubborn administratively and um, is very driven and doesn't want people to stand in their way, right? Um, and so these two, their personalities are going to clash inevitably. And here, here it is. It's over uh, John Mark. Um, it goes on, Barnabas took Mark. Uh, so they decided to separate from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Now, it is always tragic when fellow believers um, are divided. Always. However, that doesn't mean that God doesn't work through the situation. Look, churches have been planted and souls have been saved because believers couldn't get along years prior. I pastor a church that is an offshoot of another church in our community. And there's other churches in our community. Chances are churches in your community that, that is the case. Maybe it was a matter of division. Maybe it was a matter of outgrowing. Uh, and so they go and plant a church, whatever it might be. But souls have been saved through our church. And, and the church we came from, despite uh, East Frankfurt being branching off. I don't know the whole story of it. I don't know if it's good or bad branching off. I, I just don't know. But history is full of examples like this. Um, and so how do we understand these things? Look, Paul and Barnabas remained unified over the primary doctrines of the faith. As the previous you know, 35 verses made clear, the gospel, the trinity, the Bible, those things are vital to Christianity, and they define Christianity. Where there is disagreement over it, there, there should be division without reconciliation until those things are dealt with. However, whenever we disagree over secondary and tertiary things, there may be division, but not division over our identity in Christ. So look, I'm a Southern Baptist. 
Um, and I am Baptist through and through. I believe in the Baptist distinctives, and I believe in the vision of the Southern Baptist Convention to reach the nations for Christ. Uh, so so I'm, I'm an SBC, Great Commission Baptist through and through. However, because I am in agreement with Orthodox Presbyterians and Methodists, Assembly of God, Pentecostals, and, and others, I can have fellowship and even partner with them for the sake of the gospel. My first concern isn't, are you a Baptist or, or charismatic, but are you a Christian? Because that is what's ultimately going to matter in when, when we stand on Day of Judgment. With that said, I do believe the secondary doctrines of the faith are important and should shape our worship. Questions over tongues. Um, when should we baptize? Believers, infants. How should we baptize? Sprinkling or immersion? How, do, how, do, how does the Lord's Supper function within the church? What about church polity or, or church government? Elder-led, deacon-led, plurality of elders. Um, should there be a structure that um, is above the church? So, so should the church be autonomous, which is the Baptist vision, or or not, which is a more Presbyterian, Methodist, Episcopal, Catholic vision, where you have a hierarchical approach, right? These questions are important. They don't define the faith, but they do help us in the process of orderly worship. So what we have here is division, but that doesn't limit the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. In fact, now what you have, instead of two to three missionaries, you have four missionaries, and they are going their separate ways, but they're able to reach more people with, with Christ. So yes, on the one hand, it's tragic. On the other hand, it will not stop the work of God and the work of the Holy Spirit telling other people about Jesus. And that is good news. Good news indeed. Hope to see you guys here tomorrow. Fridays are my day off, so I'll be here at the house anyway. So um, I am hoping that this is the last of the storms. Uh, we've had a relatively good winter, but the last few weeks have been uh, kind of rough. So hopefully we are nearing the end of it. And Lord willing, I'll see some of you all Sunday morning for worship, either online or in person. Have a good one.